Alexandra Quink and the Stars Above by Inverarity, read by Sam Gabriel. Chapter 29 Memory Alchemy The Pritchards sneaked away from the rashes that evening to meet with the rest of the Alexandra Committee in the library. Alexandra told her friends about everything, the real royalty suites and confections warehouse, her father's visit, Bonnie's accident, the shocking truth about her mother, and finally, her adventures in Dineta. Anna knew some of these details from the letter Alexandra had left for her, but by the time she finished her story, everyone was in shock. David was the first to speak when she was done. I can't believe Dean Grimm is your aunt. I can't believe your mom is really your sister, Constance said. I can't believe Dean Grimm's familiar is... is... Forbearance's hands were clutched to her chest, as they had been since Alexandra began telling her tale. My mother, Alexandra said. Oh, I hate that, Forbearance said, wiping a tear from her eye. I can't believe you ran away to the Indian territories to hunt for John Mamolito, Anna said. Please tell me that at least you realize it was probably the stupidest thing you've ever done. Probably. Alexandra ran a hand through her hair. So what does the Alexandra Committee have to say about all this, besides that I'm stupid? Well, the white hair is an interesting look, David said. Alexandra dropped her hand and narrowed her eyes at him. After a brief silence, Forbearance said, Actually, Williams learned a lot while we was back home. You read our letter, right? Alexandra groaned. She'd completely forgotten about the letter the Pritchards had sent her. There was a hidden message in it, wasn't there? You don't mean to say you're still missing your wand. I had my wand, but I was pretty busy. Running all over the Indian territories, fighting werewolves, and saving muggles from dark wizards, Anna said. Alexandra gave her a wan smile. Yeah. To the twins, she said. You do realize if I had stayed in Larkin Mills, I would have gotten in trouble for using an unending charm anyway because of the trace? Constance and Forbearance both brought hands to their mouths. Oh, Alexandra, we plum forgot. We ain't forbidden to work magic in our hollers. Must be nice, David muttered. So, do you want me to read it now? Alexandra asked. Ain't no need now when we can tell you direct, Constance said. We saw the grannies while we was home, Forbearance said. Forbearance asked him a passel of questions about the stars above, said Constance. You applicated him about powers, Forbearance countered. I didn't raise nothing about Alexandra. Wait, Alexandra said. You talked to these grannies about me? We can't lie to the grannies, Alex, Constance said a little guiltily. Hesitantly, Forbearance said, We told him about our attempt to draw down the stars on you. Alexandra wasn't sure she liked this, but she shrugged. And? And? The Pritchards looked at each other. They has learned us another ritual. Okay, who are these grannies? David asked. They is the oldest and wisest witches in the Ozarks. Constance said. Anna leaned forward. The ones who've been teaching you want lore? The twins lowered their eyes. We ain't supposed to speak of that. Why would a bunch of old women in the Ozarks care about Alex? David asked. Constance turned on him reproachfully. Don't you disrespect the grannies, David Washington. Lands know lore our ancestors brought across the ocean that ain't known to no one else in the old world or the new. They knows an abundance of things we ain't not speak of. Forbearance said softly and her sister fell silent. And if we had lived to be a hundred and one, we might learn a suspicion of it. 
but Thanes told us how to draw down the stars proper with Alexandra's name. With my name? Troublesome, Forbearance said. Alexandra grimaced. Okay, look, that Ozarker fairy tale you sang about me was cute the first time. It ain't just a cute song, Alex. The granny says my could be your name is troublesome. Alexandra closed her eyes and took a deep breath. Would you please tell me what that's supposed to mean? Naming magic is special, Forbearance said. It's Ozarker lore, Constance said. David cleared his throat. Even Mongols have stories about names having magic properties. You're not claiming this is some kind of secret magic only Ozarkers know about, are you? Constance frowned at him. I suspect other folks know naming magic too, but, but that don't mean theirs is the same as ours. Why would the grannies name me anything? Alexandra asked. And why did they name me after a girl named Troublesome who everyone hates? Forbearance shook her head. You don't understand, Alex. Folks don't hate Troublesome, Constance said. She's vexatious and wicked, but she ain't hated so much as... Mostly they pity her, said Forbearance. Oh, that's much better, Alexandra said. Forbearance winced at Alexandra's sarcastic tone, but continued. If you are named Troublesome, it means you will be at the center of great works and great calamities. There ain't been a Troublesome for a long, long time, and the grannies say it ain't good for there not to be a Troublesome in so long. Isn't Troublesome supposed to be an Ozarker? Alexandra asked. Well, said Constance, one specs so, but everyone is named somehow, said Constance. Our tales is always about Ozarkers, except when they some simlin head or wicked foreigners. Her voice trailed off. Nice, David said. So great, I'm magically named for a girl who causes nothing but trouble. Alexandra smiled thinly. You think we can tell Dean Grimm this? Maybe I won't get in so much trouble if we explain that it's not my fault, it's how I was named. I don't think that's how it works, Alex, Anna said. So what, do you want to repeat the Stars Above ritual? Alexandra asked. If you come to them with your right name, maybe they will speak to you, Constance said. And maybe they will tell you what you want to do when all ills are set free, Forbearance said. That's from that song, right? The twins nodded, but they didn't share Alexandra's amused expression. Troublesome is there when things go badly awry, Forbearance said. Sometimes she causes it, sometimes she don't, according to the stories, Constance said. So do you believe this, seriously? Alexandra could not help laughing. What, an incarnation of some Ozarker fairy tale character? Constance's forbearance's cheeks turned red, and Constance's voice rose indignantly. I hate what we're saying. You didn't even believe in any of this stuff before the winter break, Alexandra pointed out. But the grannies... Look, I don't mean to disrespect your grannies, but what do you want me to do? Let us perform another ritual, forbearance said. Alexandra frowned. I'll think about it. I kind of have other things to worry about now. Anna had been very quiet through most of the discussion. When she spoke up, she was upset and angry. More important than you dying in seven years? Have you forgotten why we're all here in the first place? Alexandra tried to sound reassuring. I do still have classwork to make up, and I have to talk Mr. Gru into letting me take his advanced potions class. And don't forget that John Mambolito is still out there. David did a double-take. Wait, what? You want to take Mr. Gru's class? You hate Mr. Gru. Doesn't everyone? But the only way I can learn memory alchemy is if I take his class. Anna spoke again after an uncomfortable silence. You want to cure your mother? Of course I do. Didn't Miss Grimm say the best healers in the Confederation have already tried? 
That doesn't mean they've tried everything or that there's nothing else that can be done. If your own father can't restore her memories, why are you trying to talk me out of this? Anna flinched, but she didn't look away. I'm not. It just... Honestly, Alex, it sounds like another one of your obsessions. One of my crazy obsessions, you mean? The ones where you all think I'm crazy until I turn out to be right? Now Anna did look down. Alexandra's voice softened. I could be obsessed with worse things than trying to find a cure to restore my mother's memories. So I'll be doing a lot more studying. It's not like running away to other lands of the Indian territories, right? Well, that's true, Anna said reluctantly. David pulled at his lip. Alex, how much older than you is your mother? I, I mean, your sister, Claudia. She gave him an odd look. She was 22 when I was born. Why? He shrugged. Just trying to imagine what it would be like growing up a squib in the wizarding world. Don't you start. Miss Grimm already gave me a lecture about how hard it was for Claudia, so I shouldn't judge her so harshly for lying to me my entire life since I'm the one who ruined her life. An uncomfortable silence fell around the table again. Finally, Forbearance said, very meekly, Alex, dear, are you quite sure that's what Miss Grimm meant to tell you? She seemed prepared for an outburst. Everyone else did, too. Alexandra wondered when her temper had become so bad that her friends feared it, and she forced herself to speak evenly. I just don't want to think about Claudia right now, okay? Do you mind if we go over what I missed in class the last three days instead? Anna agreed, relieved, and Constance at forbearance gave her copies of their notes before hurrying off to avoid being caught by Benjamin and Mordecai. David remained to study with Alexandra and Anna, but he seemed troubled for the rest of the evening. For the first time in her life, Alexandra had received a perfect report card, but Dean Calvert added yet another requirement for her to advance to a higher level in magical theory. You need Miss Shirtliff's permission, he said, as Alexandra stood before him in his office the next morning. Casper Calvert was a wisp of a man with a balding head and a long mustache, yet he was so serious and brisk that Alexandra never spoke less than politely to him. He seemed perfectly willing to dismiss her out of hand, as she knew trying to go over his hand to Dean Grimm would end badly. He folded his hands on his desk and regarded her with watery blue eyes. This scheduled change request form doesn't require a teacher's signature, Alexandra said carefully. I require the teacher's permission before I will sign it. Given your reputation, Miss Quick, I am not going to inflict you on an unwilling teacher. Alexandra fought down all the things she wanted to say to that, while the dean continued to regard her with that calm, self-righteous expression. I'll get her permission, sir. What about my other request? The same. If you want to switch from herbology to potions, you'll need Mr. Grew's permission. She'd been afraid of that. Yes, sir. She found Mr. Grew in his laboratory classroom during lunch. She was relieved that he had no students doing detention or extra credit work. He was flipping through a very large volume of handwritten notes and muttering to three magical quills at once, which were each adding notations to different scrolls. His dark eyes rolled in her direction for a moment as she entered the room, and his thick, bushy brows contracted just a little, but he didn't stop speaking. Alexandra stood a few paces from his desk and didn't interrupt him. Eventually, he would have to acknowledge her, even if it was to order her out of the room. She kept her face neutral as she studied the slate tabletops, burned and scored by years of alchemical mishaps, the racks of ceramic and glassware, the cracked and melted cauldrons piled in a corner, the tall, black iron cabinet, more impregnable than most bank vaults, in which Mr. Grew kept his more dangerous materials. 
Finally, the teacher stopped muttering dictation and said, If you want your hair color restored, Miss Quick, try pitch. I don't give out potions for cosmetic purposes and other vanities. Wordlessly, she handed him her schedule change request form, with a handwritten line added to the bottom. Teacher's signature. He glanced at it and slid it back to her. This is a puerile prank even for you. Get out before I send you to the dean's office. It's not a prank, sir. This was possibly the first time Alexandra had ever said sir to Mr. Grew without her voice dripping with bile and resentment. She was keeping all her bile and resentment carefully bundled up. She hadn't really expected the alchemy and potions teacher to simply sign the form without argument. The expression on his ugly, ruddy face turned even uglier. I was glad to be rid of you last year, and I'm sure you were glad to be rid of me. Mrs. Verde's herbology classes where troublesome, distempered witches belong. Stay there and learn gardening and female cures. My classes require academic rigor. Anger boiled inside her. Alexandra was close to erupting, and then she noticed something in Mr. Grew's scarred, malignant expression. His glittering eyes were studying her, as if she were a bit of alchemical substance being weighed on his scales. I have academic rigor, she said. I got a perfect report card last semester. Mrs. Verde is a great teacher, and I like her class, but I want to study potions. Why in Merlin's name would I want you in my class? Because I can be your best student, sir. He brayed laughter. <laughs> Alexandra said, Do you want students who are there to learn, or students who just think potions are cool? I know you aren't looking for students who like you. Mr. Grew scowled, but he didn't bellow at her. Instead, he folded his arms and kept his voice level. Why do you want to study potions if it's not because potions are cool? There are advanced topics I want to study in my junior and senior year. I looked ahead in the curriculum. I'll wager that's the first time you've ever looked ahead at anything. Usually you do whatever enters your head without a second thought. Alexandra bit down hard on another retort. Instead, she said, If you enjoy insulting me so much, I'll promise to let you insult me all you like and I won't say a word back. Will that make you let me take your class? Nothing will make me let you take my class, Miss Quick. Answer my question. Why do you want to study potions? She almost snapped that she'd been trying to answer his question when he interrupted her to insult her, but said instead, I want to study memory alchemy. Mr. Grew's face went suddenly blank. Memory alchemy. She nodded. I've had experience with it now, and I want to understand how it works, how you could extract memories and store them, how to make pensives. You want to cure your mother. Alexandra froze with her mouth hanging open. Mr. Grew's face remained as impassive as his tone. "'You know?' she said at last. "'Who do you think Diana brought her sister to first? "'I saw what your father did to Hecate.' Alexandra gasped. "'My father?' "'He claims it was the Aurors. Diana says it was him. "'I wasn't there, but I believe her. She was my student.' "'You taught Diana Grimm, but she wasn't a student here.' Mr. Grew rolled his eyes. "'I'm not talking about school. I trained her when I was an Auror.' You were an Auror? Do you need to repeat everything you hear before you understand it, or only what I tell you? Alexandra clamped her mouth shut and clenched her fists. If Hecate Grimm's memories could be restored to her, I would have done so. We didn't stop trying even after she was brought here for Lilith to take care of her. You've known who my real parents were since I first came here? Alexandra could barely keep her voice down. Does every teacher in school know? Mr. Grew shrugged with infuriating indifference. I doubt it, but you'd have to ask Dean Grimm who else knows. 
I never discuss her sister with anyone but her. I rarely discuss you at all. Alexandra's fists squeezed tighter. Will you let me join your class or not? I just told you, your mother can't be cured. Because you tried and couldn't do it. Alexandra was pleased that this provoked him, even if it was counter to her purpose. I notice a lot of people say anything they can't do is impossible. You arrogant little brat. Then let me try and fail so you can laugh at me. Mr. Grew balled his own fists on the table and leaned on them as he studied her with an expression that was no longer indifferent, but full of mingled wrath and disgust. Then he grabbed the form Alexandra had brought to him, snatched one of the hovering quills out of the air, and scratched his name onto the paper. If you cross me, all I have to do is fail you, and you'll never take a potions class again. Alexandra took the form. Thank you, sir. She walked stiffly out of the room, feeling more angry and aggrieved than triumphant. Miss Shirtliff turned out to be as difficult as Mr. Grew. Why should I let you switch to my class? Miss Shirtliff was in the classroom she used to teach advanced magical theory, too. She shared a classroom with Mr. Adams and Miss Hart, teaching only a few of the advanced academic classes when not down in the gym. Alexandra now needed to beg her for permission both to join her class and to stay in the JROC. Because I studied my butt off all last semester to ace my classes and my spawns just to get into this class, Alexandra said. Good work. What's that to me? You also ran away and played hooky for three days. Alexandra clenched the schedule change request form in her hand. Somehow it was harder to argue with a teacher she actually respected. Mr. Grew already hated her, so his contempt bothered her less. I didn't play hooky, ma'am. If you've talked to Miss Grimm, you already know that, and anyway, she's punished me. Miss Shirtliff snorted. I don't see what my personal life has to do with whether or not I can take advanced magical theory, too, Alexandra said sullenly. Oh, now it's your personal life, is it? Alexandra wondered if Miss Shirtliff knew about her mother. She held out the form. Miss Shirtliff studied her a moment, then took the form and signed it. Alexandra cleared her throat. Thank you. Um, about J.R.O.C. Miss Shirtliff handed the form back to her. Her expression hadn't softened a bit. What about it? Alexandra stood a little straighter. I'd like to stay in J.R.O.C., ma'am, even if you demote me. Really? You want to stay in J.R.O.C. that badly? Yes, ma'am. Then you'd better not miss any more drills or morning exercises. Alexandra smiled. No, ma'am. I'm disappointed in you, Quick. Alexandra's smile faded. I can tell you why I did it if it matters, ma'am. I thought that's your personal life. Alexandra closed her mouth. You're barred for the dueling club, of course. Alexandra hung her head. She'd expected that, but it was still a disappointment. I was really hoping you'd go to the junior decathlon, Miss Shirtliff said. Alexandra raised her head. Why can't I? I won't still be on probation next year. Miss Shirtliff snorted again. I wouldn't put money on that. But even if you're not, you're going to miss a full semester of dueling practice. The Wizarding Decathlon is more than just duels. I read about the events. It's magical puzzle solving and wand work and potions and lots of different challenges. But you have to win duels, and only the Charmbridge Dueling Champions can go to the territorial competition. So I'll be Charmbridge Dueling Champion next year. You really think you're something, don't you? You think you'll be a match for everyone else after being out of practice for almost a year. What makes you think I'll be out of practice, ma'am? Shirtliff narrowed her eyes. Dueling outside of school-sanctioned activities is forbidden. Yes, ma'am. Stiffly, Alexandra held up the form. 
Thank you, ma'am. Dismissed. Miss Shirtliff shook her hand as Alexandra left. Alexandra wrote a very terse letter to Claudia, saying little more than that she was back at Charmbridge and she hoped her sister hadn't been too worried about her. In her mind, these words were dripping with sarcasm, though she wasn't sure she managed to convey that in her angry handwriting. She was prepared for Mr. Grew to make her life hell in potions class. Instead, he barely took notice of her. David was already lab partners with Ebenezer Smith, so Alexandra was the odd student out and mostly worked by herself. Mr. Grew didn't force her to partner with anyone during their brewing and mixing assignments. Alexandra figured he hoped that she would fail faster being left by herself. For the first time, she actually went over her assigned readings before class. Between this and Mr. Newton's class moving on to advanced wands and triggers, Alexandra was soon spending a great deal of time in the library again. She was surprised one evening to discover Anna and David sitting alone at a table far from where Alexandra and Anna usually studied together. They were huddled on the third floor amidst stacks of old books between the pre-Confederation American history and international wizarding law sections, and wore guilty expressions when they saw her looking in their direction. "'Studying anything interesting?' Alexandra asked Anna that night in their room. Anna avoided Alexandra's gaze as she painted her nails. David and I are just working on something for our citizenship projects. After that, Anna and David frequently walked together in the hallway, whispered to one another in the cafeteria, and exchanged notes in class. Alexandra was amused by the way they averted their eyes when they saw her, but she began to feel a bit hurt that Anna continued to insist that they were just working on a project together. David ignored her hints when she tried teasing him about it. On Monday morning, an owl came for Alexandra before breakfast. It was from Peyton, which reminded her that the Charmbridge Winter Ball was that weekend. She read the letter while Alexandra finished showering, and was wearing an expression of dismay and confusion when her roommate came out of the bathroom. "'What's wrong?' Anna asked. It was a long letter, filled with a baffling combination of apology, accusation, justification, and regret, but Alexandra's eyes scanned the most pertinent lines again. I think Peyton just broke up with me. Anna paused and wrapping a second layer of robes around herself. Really? Alexandra held out the letter for Anna to peruse. After a moment's hesitation, Anna took it. When she was done reading, she said hesitantly, Well, you did kind of ignore him over the winter break. I was a little preoccupied. And, um, all last semester. Alexandra sighed. I know. Anna sat down next to her. Are you okay? Yeah, I mean, I did try to tell him that this wasn't going to last, but... Alexandra didn't exactly feel like crying, but having her first boyfriend break up with her by owl was surprisingly disappointing. Big fat jerk, Charlie said. There was a knock on the bathroom door. Sonia shouted, Are you dressed? And then, after waiting only half a second for a response, opened the door. Who's a jerk, Charlie? Alexandra folded the letter and stuck it in her desk drawer as Charlie squawked Peyton's name. She glared at the bird. Peyton? Isn't he your boyfriend? Sonia asked. Next boyfriend now. Oh, no. Sonia hurried over to pat Alexandra on the shoulder. I'm so sorry, Alex. Did you have a fight? No, n never mind. You're right. It's none of my business. Her eyes sparkled eagerly. When has that ever stopped you? Alexandra thought but she satisfied Sonia's curiosity as they all went to breakfast together. When they sat down to eat, Sonia said, "'Well, we have to fix you up for the winter ball on Saturday.' She eyed Alexandra's JROC uniform. "'I think those uniforms look nicer on boys, but honestly, 
I'm sure there's some boy who doesn't have a date yet. Me and Anna can go without dates, Alexandra said, or not go at all. I don't feel much like dancing. Of course you don't, but it will be good for you. You're worse than my sister. This reminded Alexandra that she owed Julia a letter, too. Don't worry, I'll fix you up, both of you. If I can fix Carol up, I can get a date for anyone. Her own roommate was sitting down the table eating breakfast with some of the other quieter girls. Gee, thanks, Alexandra said. Please don't, Anna said. Oh, fie, fie, said Sonia, obviously paying them no mind. While the JROC was doing broom drills that afternoon, Alexandra felt as if she were being watched. At first, she assumed it was Miss Shirtliff, but the teacher didn't seem to be paying her any more attention than usual. Alexandra tried to pinpoint what it was she was feeling. In the trees, crows were, as usual, cackling and filling the branches by the hundreds, but one larger, darker shape caught her eye. The black birds sat regally apart from the smaller corvids, none of whom dared to come near it, and Alexandra could feel its beady black eyes fixed on her, even though it was too far away for her to actually see them. "'Quick!' yelled Shirtliff. "'Quit daydreaming!' When Alexandra looked back, the bird was gone. That afternoon, Alexandra surveyed Charmbridge's snow-patched lawn out the window of her room, and all through dinner, her distraction kept her disengaged from conversation. When they returned to her room, Anna asked, "'Do you want to study tonight in the library?' Alexandra shook her head. It hadn't snowed since before New Year's, but in the moonlight the grounds appeared white and barren. "'I'm going out,' she said, putting on her cloak." In answer to Anna's questioning look, she whispered, My father. Anna turned pale. If you get caught, I won't. I'll have Charlie with me. Alexandra held out her arm. Charlie squawked and hopped onto it, and Alexandra opened the window to let the raven fly outside. There was only a short time before curfew, but Alexandra was experienced now at sneaking in and out of the school. In January, few other students went outside, so she was careful as she slipped out the door. Charlie cawed and glided to her shoulder, and she began walking toward the tree line where she had seen Hagar earlier that day. "'You're supposed to go ahead and lead me to my father,' she said to the bird. Charlie made a jeering, cackling sound, just as Alexandra spotted a suspicious, luminescent glow through the trees. "'Charlie, go,' she ordered, shrugging the raven off her shoulder. Reluctantly, her familiar took off and flew ahead. She held her wand at the ready as she crept forward into the trees." Someone grabbed her arm and said, Don't interrupt them, they're not done talking. Alexandra struggled briefly as she looked up into the face of the witch she'd seen in front of her house on Christmas Eve. The woman brought a finger to her lips with her other hand. Shh, she winked. Who are you? Alexandra whispered, but it was a very loud whisper. A dozen yards ahead, she was shocked to see Mr. Journey turn halfway toward her. His shoulders were hunched and his head was bowed, and even from a distance she could see the shadows around his eyes. Then, like mist, he was gone. Alexandra jerked her wrist free of the woman's grip. With a glare, she backed away from her in the direction of the trees where she'd seen Journey. The other witch nodded her head as if granting permission. Though her instincts fought against it, Alexandra turned her back on her. She held her head up haughtily as she marched forward. Her father was waiting for her. "'Charlie!' she called without greeting her father. Where are you? You're supposed to keep spooky witches from sneaking up on me. Abraham Thorne gestured, and Alexandra's eyes followed where he pointed. Hagar and Charlie were seated together on a high branch overhead. Charlie's hunched posture was remarkably similar to the cowed appearance of Mr. Journey. Alexandra, 
Charlie croaked. You knew I was here, her father said. Wasn't that the point of sending Hagar where I would see her? Yes, but I couldn't be sure you'd seen her or would know what to do. I was afraid I'd have to signal you more directly, but you are becoming quite perceptive. Tell me, did you only see Hagar, or did you sense her as well? Alexandra thought a moment. I think I felt something before I saw her. I can't really say. He nodded. Is that why Mr. Journey was here? she asked. Were you going to send him to bring me out? If necessary. So you're friends again? I would not say that. There was an edge in her father's voice. He's the one you've had watching me at Charmbridge, isn't he? When he said nothing, she asked, Is he doing what you say out of guilt or because you threatened him? Both, probably. I'm not here to talk about Benedict. Are you going to introduce me to your girlfriend? Abraham Thorne paused, then said a little stiffly, When we are done talking, we have much to talk about, don't we, my daughter? That depends. Is there anything I don't know yet that you're going to tell me? I'm told you have finally learned the truth. Her father reached for her, but Alexandra stepped back. He went on speaking. Alexandra, I placed a great burden upon Claudia, and she demanded only one thing, that if she were to be made your guardian, I would not interfere in her life or in her raising of you until such time as you were called back to the wizarding world. I tried to warn her that that day was inevitable and that she couldn't avoid it by pretending, but she's very stubborn, my eldest child. So you're putting all the blame on her? No, that's not what I meant. Alexandra wasn't listening. Words rushed out of her in a burst of anger. Claudia made everyone lie to me. Claudia kept you from seeing me. Claudia didn't want me to know what I was until she couldn't hide from it any longer. It sure is easy to say everything is Claudia's fault. Alexandra, I blame Claudia, all right, but I blame you too. You abandoned me, just like you abandoned her, and then let her be abandoned again by Livia's grandparents. She grew up a squib knowing she wasn't wanted, and that's why she hated me, because I'm a witch. I was a burden on her. I kept her from going to medical school. Do you have any idea what you've done to all of us? All your children. Max and Julia and me and Lucilla and Drusilla and Valeria and Livia and Claudia. You just move from wife to wife to lover and leave someone else to take care of all your children and you think expensive presents and yearly visits to match the Inquisitor's visits make up for it. Even if you weren't the enemy of the Confederation, you'd be the biggest jerk in the world. Alexandra's voice had risen higher and higher until she could probably be heard all the way across Charmbridge's lawns on the other side of the trees, assuming her father had not already cast a spell to prevent it. What had started as a rehearsed list of grievances, which in her head she had delivered to him coolly with righteous but controlled anger, had become, even to her ears, the shrill rant of an indignant child losing her temper and her self-control. She stopped talking entirely when she realized that she was crying, and not just a few tears running down her cheeks, but full-on sobs that shook her shoulders and choked her voice. She had to gulp air so she wouldn't double over. With the greatest effort of will, she remained erect and held her father off with a look of indignant fury. She could see he wanted to close the distance between them, and as much as she fought to deny it, she wanted to let him put his arms around her. Father-daughter moments like that weren't something she was accustomed to, not with Archie and certainly not with Abraham Thorne but she remembered Julia stepping into her father's embrace and knew that she must feel what Alexandra felt, an inescapable pull from this man, who had barely been in their lives and yet was a constant unseen presence they could not escape. 
but right now she was angry, and she wanted to stay angry. Unfortunately, her anger only generated more tears. Her pride did no good against the tide of emotions that was carrying her along, regardless of her wishes. Abraham Thorne stood where he was. His pained expression betrayed more emotion than she could ever recall seeing on his face, even when she had railed at him over Maximilian's death. It was Charlie who defied her wrath and the intimidating larger bird by descending from the trees to land on her shoulder. Alexandra started, and Charlie said, Alexandra! in a tone that was almost sad. Alexandra laughed, still shedding tears. Pretty bird, she said. Then she noticed a shadowy figure standing in the trees at the edge of the moonlight. That woman was standing there listening to this whole thing. That made Alexandra furious, but it also helped her gather her wits and her self-control. She sniffed and kissed the top of Charlie's small, hard beak. Alexandra! The raven repeated. You stay right here, Charlie. Alexandra faced her father once more. She wiped her eyes with the back of her hand. Her father didn't say anything. I hate you for making me that upset, she said. I hate being emotional. He offered her a wry, sad smile. I'm so angry at you, she said. I'm angry at all of you. Alexandra, there is much truth in everything you have said. Her father's voice was low and deep. Except for this, Claudia does not hate you. I know that beyond any doubt. I will accept all your blame. I will plead guilty to every charge you have laid upon me. I have failed all of you badly and in many ways. Claudia has made mistakes of her own. Yes, I know she suffers from her own hurts, much of them also to be laid at my feet, but that does not excuse her pulling her hat down over her head, especially where you were concerned. She must answer to you for that. She may not have been a perfect guardian, my daughter, though I dare say you have hardly been a perfect ward. But do not accuse her of hating you. I will not hear that. Alexandra panted in the cold air. Her tears were starting to freeze on her skin. She wiped her face again with her gloved hands, then remembered that she wasn't at home or she wasn't allowed to use her wand. She cast a warming charm on herself. Charlie preened, basking in the shared heat. "'What happened to my mother?' Alexandra asked. She paused and jerked a thumb over her shoulder at the other witch. "'Send her away.' "'Don't be rude, Alexandra.' "'It's all right, Abraham,' said the woman. She melted back into the darkness. After a moment of disapproving silence, Abraham Thorne said, "'It was just after your birth. We had no refuge protected by a Fidelius charm, unfortunately.' I had thought to create such a place, a sanctuary, for you and your mother, but she would not hear of it. She was already up and about. She was tired, of course, but Hecate wasn't about to let a little thing like childbirth relegate her to bed rest and away from our council. The Oro Authority was hunting for us. Most of our allies had turned on us or gone into hiding themselves, and we knew that our coup, such as it was, had failed. We had no choice but to go underground ourselves. Everyone wanted to scatter, but we all worried about one of us being captured and betraying the rest. That is when I proposed the idea of using the Fidelius charm to protect us directly, and making me the secret keeper. Actually, that was Hecate's idea. Thorn chuckled. So clever. I wasn't even sure it was possible until I cast the spell. 
I also cast the circle of protection then, the one that later saved you from Benedict's treachery. That was my idea. He moved closer to her, slowly, like a man approaching a skittish animal. Alexandra did not like being regarded in such a manner. She didn't back away this time. Then everyone went their separate ways, her father continued. None of us knew when we'd see each other again, except Hecate and I, of course, and our daughter. We were going to hide in, well, it doesn't matter now. The Aurors, led by your cursed aunt, arrived literally moments before we were going to leave. I engaged them so Hecate could escape with you. If she had apparated, she would have gotten away, but she had you in her arms. She was caught because of me. An infant is no more likely to be splinched than anyone else traveling via side-along apparition, but Hecate hesitated. She loved you, Alexandra. She was actually a rather unsentimental woman, and she could be as ruthless as me. But where you were concerned, her maternal instincts were her undoing. Alexandra was silent. Her father stopped an arm's length from her. I could have dealt with the other Aurors easily enough, but Diana Grimm delayed me. I did not want to harm Hecate's sister. That didn't stop you on Croatoa. Much has happened since then, Alexandra. Diana says you obliviated Hecate. Diana finds it convenient to hold me responsible for everything that happened to her sister. I would not blame her, except that her thirst for vengeance poisons the lives of my children as well. He laid a hand on her shoulder. He didn't pull her toward him, but he leaned closer. Why would I do that, Alexandra? Why? Hecate would never have betrayed me. Maybe not willingly, Alexandra said quietly. Abraham Thorne continued to stare at her. When he spoke again, it was in a very reasonable tone, as if they were discussing her homework. I had already cast the Fidelius charm, and once I had you, the Aurora Authority could not have forced my whereabouts from her, not even with legitimacy or any other means. Alexandra's mind was working hard, as difficult as it was under her father's gaze. What he said made sense, but she also couldn't fathom why the Aurors would obliviate Hecate when they surely wanted to question her. Her father sighed. Perhaps if I had not waited so long to re-enter your life, you would not find it so easy to believe every vicious slander whispered in your ear about me. I do not. She was wondering if she really did know what he was capable of. But you're right that you should have re-entered my life sooner and not let Claudia lie to me for fourteen years. She wasn't sure if she was relieved or disappointed when he dropped his arm and stepped away. He reached into a pocket. I have a gift for you. He held out a gold coin in his black-gloved hand. Alexandra took it from him. It appeared to be an ordinary eagle. Thanks? Really, my dear, use your witch sight. She had already noticed an icy dread in her fingers, that did not come from physical chill. It was a familiar sensation, though she wasn't sure when she had felt it before, but deduction in the memory of sensations she hadn't even realized she'd had at the time brought the sharp knife of comprehension stabbing into her brain. She gasped and almost dropped the coin. This is an oval. She raised her eyes from the coin to her father, awe and horror on her face. You made an oval. Not an oval, a token. What? I don't understand. He gently closed her fingers around the coin. 
An oval must be given to an elf in payment for opening a doorway to the lands below or other realms. A token represents a payment already made. You can use it to cross the threshold between realms without aid. Alexandra's breath caught in her throat. Like the locket I brought back from the lands below. She had never seen her father wearing it. She was sure he wouldn't dare wear it in front of her. But her brother's life had paid for their father's ability to travel between the lands above and the lands below. Yes. The eagle lay in her hand. A cold weight she could feel even through her glove. Maximilian had to die for me to bring back a token. Now you can just turn any old coin into a new one. She pulled her hand out of his. Who died to create it? His silence confirmed her suspicion. For a moment she thought about hurling the coin into the woods. I have not been able to hunt down John Mamolito, Abraham Thorne said in a cold and implacable voice. But his associates were not beyond my reach. I sent them a message. Who seeks to harm my children is my enemy. Charlie warbled uneasily. I don't want anyone to die for me, Alexandra said. Her father was unmoved. You know I must sometimes do dire things. In this case, I needed to make an object lesson out of a few warlocks for the sake of all my children who might otherwise be in danger. That I was able to turn one such object lesson to further advantage was merely convenient. Merely convenient, Alexandra thought sickly. I asked you to teach me more magic. So far all you've done is hide my wand and give me something I don't want. You learned some things during your time spent wandless, did you not? Not magical things. She paused. Was that true? Anyway, I want to learn spells, great rituals, forbidden arts. Yeah, and stuff like that. He caught her hand again and closed her fingers around the coin once more, squeezing until the grip was almost painful. It took me a long time to break down the enchantments that went into the token you brought me and duplicate them. It is by no means an easy process. It is, in fact, a perilous and grueling one. This is an item of much greater worth than a broom. What am I supposed to do with this? Do you want me to go back to the lands below? Merlin, no. He leaned closer, and his hand squeezed tighter, until it felt as if the cold, dead weight of the coin were being forced into her very flesh. Study it. Don't look away from me like that, daughter, and don't flinch from this thing, because it reminds you of Maximilian. You want to learn great works. You have a great work in your hand. You say you want to learn forbidden arts. Do you think anything forbidden comes without a cost? I don't understand, she said, willing her voice not to tremble. I don't understand what it is you expect me to learn. Think on it. Then he released her hand and laid his hand on her shoulder, and his voice became gentle again. You should go back inside before you are discovered breaking your curfew. If you taught me to apparate, I could get around faster. Indeed? But he said no more. As they walked through the trees, the black-haired woman slid out of the shadows to join them. She gave Alexandra a smile that was perfectly pleasant and showed not a trace of artifice. Yet Alexandra felt an instinctive disliking for her. You have met Medea, but not been introduced, Abraham Thorne said. Medea, you know who this is, of course. It's a pleasure, Alexandra, Medea said. You're the first of Abraham's daughters I've actually met. 
She held out a hand, which Alexandra took after a moment. Your father speaks about you often. From what he says, you're quite an impressive witch. So are Julia and all my other sisters, Alexandra said. Except Claudia. Did this witch know about Claudia? No doubt, Medea said. Don't worry. Abraham speaks well of all his daughters. Abraham Thorne and Medea stood side by side, but neither betrayed with a look or a touch any special affection. Alexandra considered simply blurting out the question on her mind directly, but thought better of it. Her father had hinted that she'd pushed him far enough tonight. He had to know what she was thinking, so he might only be testing her. She met his gaze, feeling frustrated and resentful, and trying not to sulk. You're not going to get away with putting me off next time. His smile broadened just a little, as if he had read her mind. When? she asked. Medea looked puzzled, but Thorne answered smoothly. Not until some time after your birthday. But I will be thinking of you, and I promise it will not be too terribly long. I don't suppose you could undo this before you go? Alexandra gestured at her head. Her father raised an eyebrow. I thought perhaps this was some new fashion among young witches. She couldn't tell whether he was teasing her or not. So you tested an age line. Well, how would it look if you walked outside with white hair and returned with black? I think of an explanation. Think of a solution instead. Frowning, she allowed him to kiss her cheek. Then he and Medea vanished, and Hagar squawked and flew away. End of chapter 29 For the full text of this and other stories, as well as news and updates about Alexandra Quick, visit inverarity.livejournal.com. For more information about this podcast, visit samgabrielvo.com slash alexandraquick. I am also easy to find on the Alexandra Quick subreddit and Discord server, where you can hear me record episodes live. Troublesome, composed by Dr. James Benighoff. Charmbridge, composed and performed by Tyler Parsons. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes or whichever podcast service you prefer. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.